the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, what will it take to make Christianity beautiful again? And then we're going to talk conspiracy theories as religion with Tyler Huckabee. He's the senior editor at Relevant Magazine. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on, we don't need to keep saying it's steamy. I think every day from here on out, it's going to be steamy for a while. But it's, Right. We've, we've covered the weather. From now on, it's hot. It's just hot. And we are glad to have you with us today. Going to be a great show. Tyler Huckabee from Relevant Magazine is going to yeah. join us. Uh, and then in the second hour, your friend, Christine Kane, is going to be on the show for the first time. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be like a third wheel here for you and Christine to be talking with each other. I'm trying to decide if you are a third wheel. Maybe you just shouldn't be here. Just kidding, Brian. I'll take we the need time. You. No, we need you. I'll, I'll, I'll go get some coffee during Tyler Huckabee. You go get some coffee during Chris Kane. We'll, That'll be our breaks. We're, we'll no, they're both going to be such great guests for our show today. I'm really excited for our listeners to hear from both of them. We are real excited. But uh, we do have to start the show this way. You are the mom of a middle school graduate. Uh, what was middle school graduation like last night? And was it an emotional affair for you? Yeah, so I I confess, I was even telling Kevin, I had never even heard of middle school graduations mm-hmm. until recently. And Kevin said he did one growing up around here, but I grew up in Oklahoma and I don't we just didn't do that. So I was a little like eye rolly cynical about it. Like, why what do I think we they graduate high school and college? So what's but it was very special, especially after such a hard, really, year and a half for our students. Like, anytime one of the speakers would say something like, and your kids have really thrived during a hard year, like, I would start crying. Like, it was just, <laughs> it was very sweet. And the the really great thing is the school honored families by only making it 30 minutes long. It was so oh, fast. Wow. It was so sweet. We got, we were like, in, out, pictures after. I mean, they had it down to a science. So, it was great. He did great. He he! I made him take a lot more pictures than he wanted to take. He's definitely like a f- almost fifteen year old boy who yep. is over it, but it's good. And today he's upstairs watching the new Loki show on Disney Plus, so he's living there his best go. life at the moment. Yeah, I saw your pictures on Facebook of it, and he definitely looked like a fifteen year old whose mom made him take pictures. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I, I hope it's okay if I say this on the air, but Kevin at one point was like, Aubrey, could you go take? Could you go like walk over there? So we're all outside. I walk over into the garage and I hear him going, Eli, this is not just about you. This is a celebration <laughs> of all your mom has helped you with. You better smile for your mom. Like he did. And then, <laughs> That's a good husband right there. Yeah. And then he, he tried a little harder. <laughs> yep. yep. We've but had it was those great. Moments. It was a great night. It was a great night. My my wife is a photographer and uh, Carrie from Photography. If you're looking for her, and yeah, uh, she's a great photographer. By the way, if you need a photographer, is, Carrie Fromm's the one to call. She, uh, well, when we go on vacations and stuff, she'll always want to do like a family photo shoot. And my kids, they just 
there i always have to have that talk with them like guys this is important to your mother and you know this you know she's been building up to this in her mind like she's gonna she's make she, outfits, these pictures. she's like yes. exactly <laughs> these pictures are gonna be on the wall like yes. you guys you guys need to do like there's that pep talk you need to good do job. this for mom a like, good give job, me dad. 30 minutes. <laughs> oh well congratulations to your son now off to Thanks. high school see you're now you're in the fast run of emotional oh, moments like i am not first excited. day of high school and then driver's license and then, oh yeah it's coming uh, well congratulations thank you thanks appreciate uh, all right i have felt like the last couple days uh have been uh heavy they've been uh they cynical have been induced in right they like as been. we look towards the sbc as we talk to these other things and yeah. that's part of the role of our show we right. think is to highlight things going on in evangelicalism and in the church and just kind of call out things or challenge us yeah but sometimes you and i have talked about this like sometimes it could be hard oh, <laughs> like just going this week has do, felt how, especially hard how do we yeah how do you well, go ahead brian what were you gonna say no just how do you remain joyful that's how it. do you remain optimistic yeah. of yeah. Yes. the future of the church. And so I, I kind of felt that today. And, and I wanted to start, therefore, with not a newsy item, not something heavy, but actually something from somebody, one of the first people we referred to as a friend of the show. It was more uh, it was more hopeful than anything. And that being Scott Saul. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Uh, exactly. Scott has been on the show multiple times. But uh, if you've been uh, part of the common good for the the two plus years that we've done the show, you know that we quote his blog, his preaching, his Twitter account as much as we do anybody's. Yeah. Uh, and he wrote just a beautiful blog post a couple days ago that I thought would kind of be a uh, a palate cleanser, if you will. I like it. Uh, and it's it says it's just titled this: "Make Christianity Beautiful Again." And it does start heavy, okay? The beginning of it is uh, talking about people who have kind of turned on the faith, right? There's or, or things they say about Christians. He quotes Gandhi saying, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Mm. Uh, he talks about a journalist from San Francisco saying, the trouble with born-again Christians is that they're an even bigger pain the second time around. <laughs> That's a good line right there. That's a great line. And then he talks about the author Anne Rice, who wrote the Vampire Chronicles, becoming disenchanted with the church, saying, uh, I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not being a Christian. And she calls them a deservedly infamous group. Mm. And so Saul starts with this and is just like, can we change this? He basically says, he says, can we change the narrative hmm. within our culture of what Christianity and what Christians are like? And so, Aubrey, I'll throw that to you. Uh, is that possible? Because we do not have a great name culturally, and a lot of that is self-inflicted. Uh, and so I would ask you, even when feeling cynical, do you think, to ask Saul's question, can we make Christianity beautiful again? You know, I think part of the history of the church has been that we are always um, sort of being, not doing an awesome job at, at right. uh, honoring the name of Jesus, but that also God is using his church in profile profound and powerful ways. Like, I feel like that's always sort of been the tension throughout history. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because you, you think back to slavery, you think back to the uh, Crusaders. Like, I mean, there are just ways we have not done this well. And yet somehow God's glory and mercy and goodness have prevailed. And so I do feel like 
by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power, we can make Christianity beautiful again. I don't know that I have the answer to how, except right. to look to Jesus who said, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And I feel like that's sort of it, right? Like, if we can just it, love yes. our neighbors well, but that's hard. That gets hard. And I would say the other part of that commitment, love Jesus with all that we have. Like, there I you think go. if we... If we got off the culture war stuff, if we got not that those things don't matter, there are times to, you know, stand up for whatever. But but when we if we primarily were like, remember when we were growing up and there's bad theological parts to this, I understand. But you remember when we were growing up and the huge thing was to wear the bracelets? What would Jesus right, do? Right, right, right. <laughs> just be like, that was the question. In some ways, yeah. if we simplified this over again and said, hey, church, what would Jesus totally. do in our culture? How would he love? How would he treat yeah. people? What would he do? How about we commit yeah. ourselves to doing that? And I, I also uh, think there are there are lots of Christians doing that. And what happens is they 100%. don't get the FaceTime on social media that the the corruption stories get. And so there also, I think, has to be a responsibility on our end. Instead of retweeting the bad guy, let's mm-hmm. lift up stories of those who are living like Jesus and are serving the church well and serving the country well and serving their community well. Like, let's begin to share share a better narrative, too. And I'm not saying hide from truth, but, like, the things we, we celebrate and we uh, retweet, like, become part of that story. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would encourage people to read what Saul's has to say here. He talks about the early church uh, being this in the world and how it just exploded. And he ends this way. This is the true Christianity I want to be a part of. This is the true Christianity I'm committed to pursue. It is the beautiful way of Christ that shines a light that's so lovely. It is Christianity that mirrors the whole Christ, offering a tired and sometimes cynical world a reason to pause and consider and to start wishing it could mm. be true. How about you? Are you ready to begin a journey toward Jesus, a better you, a better community, and a better world? If so, Jesus says, come, follow me. Let's follow him together, shall wow. we, is how Amazing. Saul's ends that. I wanted to, a, a palate cleanser. I just felt like it's we good, needed right? it. Not only, it's not on us to make Christianity beautiful again. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's on us to follow Jesus and That's start good. living That's that out. Good. So start in the morning, uh, start in the uh, afternoon here uh, on a hopeful front. Coming up next, uh, Tyler Huckabee. He is the senior editor at Relevant Magazine. He recently wrote about a study that says QAnon is as big as some major religions in the United States. What do you make of that? We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. We are thrilled to be joined by Tyler Huckabee. Tyler is the senior editor at Relevant Magazine, also the co-host of the Cape Town podcast. Tyler, thanks for coming back on the show. How are you doing today, man? You know... I'm doing pretty good. I, I had like three meetings today. They all got knocked out. They're like they like they get canceled. So the day is wide open. Uh, I, I I was I was thinking this might be this might be canceled too, and then I just go back to bed. But nope, I'm here. This is good. <laughs> Sorry. Is, oh, Sorry. No, no, no. This is, I needed to get going anyway. I'm doing very well. Thanks, guys. Good, good. There is something joyful about the fact, like even when you need to have the meeting, when they cancel, mm-hmm. you're like. 
Oh, it's uh, time. I got it. Seriously, it feels so good. In so true. I love it. Oh, oh, it just, oh, just the day. Oh, it's like the door gets knocked out and I'm, I'm out in the sunshine again. It feels it's really right. good. That's so true. That's so true. Well, Tyler, as we said, you've been on the show multiple times, but for people who don't remember or haven't heard you before, why don't you introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little better? Yeah, sure. Uh, senior editor at Relevant, where I've been for a couple of years now. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, b- before this, I was living in Chicago, where I worked for a few years working in churches and doing some uh, work with the homeless there. And now I'm here, married, and uh, and have a dog as well. On uh, Cape Town Podcast, which is my kind of my evening job, is the the superhero podcast that me and a few friends run, where we talk about uh, comic books. That is so fun. I feel like, I, how do I not know about this podcast? Because I, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm more of a like Marvel movie person. So I know so, that's probably not hardcore enough, but I feel like I would really Aubrey, get into that podcast. This is for you. This is for you. You're, you're the target. You're the, you're the. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh, this okay. Is what we, this is what we want. We want to, the, the idea of the Cape Town podcast is if you like the movies or you like the TV shows or whatever it is, there's reading material out there, which can be very intimidating to get on board with. And yeah. uh, and we try to help you. Like if you if you did want to read a little more, here's where you could go do some of that. So so okay, give, give all right, it a I get it. For I'm the target audience. Um, okay, Tyler. So I am. Uh, I'm a '90s kid, and uh-huh. I know this is maybe not the most like important or heavy of articles you've ever written, but I was yeah. fascinated by the story of. Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, maybe teaching David Crowder how to surf. You have to fill us in on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I Really, the best thing for you to do is to go read the... Because I, I just transcribed the whole thing. Because you really want... He's the only one who can... He, he's a great storyteller. But I was interviewing David Crowder, the, the worship music extraordinaire. Probably one of the most influential worship, uh, worship musicians of his generation. And I had heard... And I don't even remember how I had heard that Eddie Vedder had given David Crowder a surfboard. And I just, it was like one of those last, you guys do interviews. It was one of those like on the way out the door, like, oh, by the way, I heard this. Is this true? And it kicked off like a 20 minute story that is, oh, that is really wow. excellent. It was not strictly speaking true. Eddie Vedder did not give him a surfboard, but there, over the course of like two days, Crowder and Vedder kind of fell in at this Hawaii resort situation, I think. And Vedder, who's a very big surfer, and Crowder, you know, he's a Southern guy. He was not, like me, not a surfer. And Eddie Vedder taught him how to surf in the waves. And uh, and I think it ended, if I remember right, with Crowder possibly stealing or at least not legally taking the surfboard that Eddie Vedder had rent had rented to teach him on, so he still owns that surfboard. It's a long story, hilarious. and it, it, the article yeah. is up at relevantmagazine dot com. It was our most read article of the week, which surprised me very much. But it's a great story, and, and it was it's worth going to check out the whole thing. That's awesome, that Aubrey. That is like the coming together of our worlds, like high think? school Eddie Vedder yeah. out of college or youth pastor David, David Crowder, Crowder. <laughs> like, totally like coming together. It's amazing, I love it. it. Tyler, let me ask you back at the end of May. Uh, this is the main story I want to talk to you about. It's about a study that says this. Your title said this. QAnon is as big as some major religions in the U.S. and one in four white evangelicals believe it. We've talked about QAnon a ton mm-hmm. on this show. Uh, and, and this kind of study is really, really scary. Yeah. It's scary. It's troublesome. So tell us about the study and maybe what can we take from it? 
the study is interesting to me because I think there's still a lot that we don't really know or understand about this QAnon phenomenon and the proliferation of online conspiracy theories in general, because it, it seems to me from my vantage point as someone who's tried to keep an eye on this, particularly as it pertains to evangelicals who are falling into this trap that it's very uh, interconnected to a lot of other conspiracy theories that are outside of QAnon. Things like conspiracy theories about the vaccine and COVID-19, about the election that happened. And it's sort of as something that started as a pretty specific narrative on these CD message boards about how about who the Democrats are, how they're a secret satanic pedophile ring, and Donald Trump yeah. was planning to take them all down. It has now become, as these things do, a, a much broader and less well-connected web of different conspiracies, not all of which even really make sense together. But but this is what happens when it gets big, right? With like any cult or religion or philosophy, the bigger it gets, the harder it is to control. And that's why mm. I think you see a lot of Christians, according to this study, um, in some cases with white evangelicals, perhaps even as many as a third uh, saying that they have at least some belief that this is that QAnon could be true, either they wholly believe it or they don't entirely not believe it. You know, so yeah. I, I think you're right that it's very concerning and remains very very hard for researchers to quantify because it is so amorphous right now. So you've worked in church before, Tyler, and Brian and I are both pastors, and so of course you kind of think like, oh no, what do we do? Um, have you gotten to the point where you have any perspective on that? Like how pastors can take this seriously? I, I think, uh, no, first of all, <laughs> I, <Yeah>. would say, <laughs> I would say I have not. But I think what you said there is sort of, you, I think you've answered your own question in some ways. They do need to take this seriously. This mm. is, this is mm. something that we need to, this is happening in your congregation. This is a, a real, statistically speaking, it, it is very likely that you have people in your congregation who do believe this. And if these studies are even close to true, where something like 25, 30% of white evangelicals believe this conspiracy theory, if you knew that 25 to 30% of people in your pews were, say, uh, were divorcees or, or had can positive cancer diagnoses, that would probably change how you talk to your congregation on Sunday mornings. And I think yeah. that we need to treat this the same way. And pastors need to be very, very upfront about dealing with not only this conspiracy, but the many conspiracy theories that people are going to online in this space. Absolutely. Again, that's Tyler Huckabee. He is senior editor at Relevant Magazine, co-host of the Cape Town podcast, which Aubrey will be checking out later today, I'm sure. Uh, you can find Tyler's articles at relevantmagazine.com. Again, that's relevantmagazine.com. Also connect with Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Huckabee. There's a lot of great stuff there. Tyler is a <laughs> prolific writer. We were talking about QAnon and the church, uh, and there might be some people out there, like we talked about what should pastors do? Are we surprised by this? But what about the person out there who's like, it's not a big deal? Like, what's, yeah. a, what's the big deal about a conspiracy theory? Why are we making so much time about that? How would you answer that for people who might say, I don't think it's that big a deal? I think that there's... I, I understand that, and, and I can see why uh, you 
I can see why there'd be a temptation to to feel that way because who cares what people believe about these far from political powers that are dealing? You know, it, you can still be a good person, and you can still be a good person believe conspiracy theories. I think that's true, but I think what we're dealing with here, and this is indicative of a larger issue than even conspiracy theories, is a lot a loss of a shared epistemology. We we do mm-hmm. not all believe in the same reality anymore, and this yeah. is much bigger than QAnon, right? This this goes into just sort of our basic way of seeing the world and believing what's true and what's not true. So I think that while QAnon is a symptom of that and a a very serious symptom of that, it is not really the core of the problem. And we as Christians, for whom truth is so important, so vital to what we are trying to proclaim, we believe that the truth sets us free. But if we don't agree on what the truth is, then we're not setting anybody free. And we are, in fact, all trapped in our own little worlds that feel to us like a lot of liberty because we're the only one who knows what's going on, right? It's very That's a very intoxicating feeling. Feeling. But if we don't yeah. share that or if we're wrong about that, then we are in a serious problem. And that's why I do think it's important that Christian leaders continue to speak up about this and educate their congregations, educate the people who, have in, who are there in their flocks about what our shared reality really is and how we can know that. And that's easier said than done. I understand that, but I do think it's important. Yeah, that's good. So speaking of Christian leaders, you wrote an article recently about T.D. Jakes who is sort of like the guy who doesn't quit, right? Like T.D. Jakes have been like a powerhouse in ministry. He's got the leads the Potter's house in Dallas, Texas for a long time. But um, you wrote an article saying he's tired and he even says he's tired. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I can. So I got the uh, for I, I've been in this work for a while, but never gotten the opportunity to interview Bishop Jakes before. Have always wanted to, and and it was great to talk to somebody who's been mm. such an important figure in the faith, and certainly in my own person. He just kind of feels like one of those guys who's always been there, right? Like he, he yeah. like he sprung up out of there like Tom Bombadil. He just seems he seems really <laughs> ageless. Um, but he did, he, he did, yes. And he told me that he was, he told me that he was tired. He told me that it had been a very difficult day. We spoke in the middle, this was a few months ago. So still very much the middle of the pandemic and really when things were surging in Texas, where he's based mm. out of, I assume that's what he was referring to. He did not go into great detail about what was, what, what was uh, proving difficult for him. But he, he, uh, when I, I thanked him for his work and his ministry, he, he expressed a lot of gratitude about that. I think he, his words were, especially on a day like today. Um, hmm. So I, I think that I think that he, like a lot of pastors, has got to be feeling some amount of burnout from just the, yeah. the, like a lot of us are, from the toll of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we get that. And I'm sure someone like him who's getting older, too, I, I can totally understand that. All right, just today, uh, we'd love to just bounce from your articles. Biden's Justice Department says it will defend religious schools' exemption from anti-LGBTQ discrimination laws. This feels different than what everyone's been telling us is coming, right? If Joe Biden's president, you're going to, you know, everything's going to change. Everything's done. Uh, so help our people understand why is this a big deal? Were you surprised by this? And and I, I'm guessing we should feel hopeful. About <laughs> I was I was surprised by this. This uh, this is not something that I saw coming from the Biden administration. Yeah. And it seems to me that they're trying to that, that Biden is trying a, to walk a pretty difficult 
balance right now. So yeah. the the backgrounds here are, are a little bit complicated, and I'll try to sum it up best I can in a brief amount of time here. But uh, about 33 plaintiffs, I believe, are suing the U.S. Department of Education for providing federal funds to several to a number of conservative Christian schools that do not allow LGBTQ students to come in, saying that 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 goes against anti-discrimination policies with the Equality Act. So Biden, of course, on the campaign trail has has been very much uh, pitched himself as very pro-LGBTQ. And in fact, Mm -hmm. his administration is really pushing for this new Equality Act that would put LGBTQ issues under the Civil Rights Protection Act. But now he is also saying that, on the other hand, through the Justice Department, that he wants to protect the rights of these conservative Christian schools to be exempt from these as well. That's going to be that's a very complicated line to walk. And I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure it's totally coherent entirely. Yeah. But but for the but for the purposes of their messaging, at least, and and this particular lawsuit, it looks like both uh, both the advocates for this lawsuit, the plaintiffs are a little bit surprised, as well as the Christian colleges who did not see this one coming and were, were in fact, quite concerned about the Biden administration on this issue. Yeah, it's so, so fascinating. It's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Okay, Tyler, there's a question we ask folks around the show often, and it's kind of like a step back, big picture question. So I hope it's okay to ask you this. But when you look at the state of things right now, especially in the American church, do you feel more or less hopeful than you did maybe a year ago or two years ago? That is an interesting question. And I, I ask that question a lot, too. So I'm glad mm. you guys ask it. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> now that I'm on the other side of it, I realize how tough that is. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, we live in hope. Um, you know, we live in hope. We are we are a people of hope. So yes, yeah. I, I do feel hopeful, uh, but that's different than being optimistic, right? I I, I think that mm. it's a, optimistic is just kind of like feeling good, basically trying to to uh, Harry Potter good things into existence. Uh, and I don't know, that <laughs> I, I don't really feel that way about it. But I do believe uh, that that hope is a discipline. Uh, that Christians need to exercise. And I believe that our hope is very sure as well, uh, that that God is not going to abandon this church and God is not going to abandon this people and and God is not going to abandon this world, no matter how things look right now. Mm -hmm. So yes, my hope is, is there and it gets, and in that sense, it gets bigger and brighter every day. Oh, that's that's a great word, man. It, it's amazing as we start to let you go here. It's amazing how many people we've talked to who have basically said mm-hmm. what you just said. I'm always hopeful. I'm not sure I'm optimistic. And that's that's something to wrestle with. It's we hear that over and over again. Tyler, we love having you on. Before we let you go, where can people find you? Social media. Where can they read your content at Relevant Magazine? Where can people find you? Sure. Yeah. At Tyler Huckabee is, is on Twitter where I share most of the things that I write, not all of them, but most of the things that I write there. Uh, you can also, if you, if you aren't following Relevant Magazine, then I hope you follow us on Twitter or on Facebook. And that's where you obviously can get a hold of all of our content, mine and the other writers that we work with over there. Uh, Cape Town Podcast is at Cape Town Pod on Twitter and the Cape Town Podcast, wherever you, uh, wherever you cast your Odds, I guess. Uh, <laughs> would, uh, would love for you. If, if comic books and then comic book discourse is something that's interesting to you, that's where all of that goes down at. 
Well, you're going to be hearing from I was Aubrey. Say, I'm the, new, I'm I'm the newest number that, one so. fan. I'm buying the T-shirt, the hat. I'm in. <laughs> well, maybe we'll interview. Maybe we'll have you on the Cape Town pod. Return tit for tat. <laughs> I better. I better start reading. I got to start getting be... some comic books. <laughs> That's awesome. Again, Tyler Huckabee, senior editor at Relevant Magazine. Uh, you can find him at relevantmagazine.com. Tyler, we love having you on, man. Thanks for spending the time with us today. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Of course. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, We do try to highlight news of the day, hard stories. How do we as Christians wrestle Mm -hmm. with what's going on in the world? And so sometimes kind of behind the scenes, you and I have a Google Doc where we put stuff up that we're going to talk about. And sometimes we put stuff up and I know both of us are like, oh, do we have to talk about that? (laughs) Like, do we need to go there? (laughs) But usually if we feel that way, it's actually a big signal that, yeah, it's probably important to talk about. We need to talk about it. And so I want to highlight, and you're going to give us the background of this story, but there was this story over the past couple of days uh, of these killings that happened in London, Ontario. And so many of these happened that sometimes you hear these things. And I thought it was London, England, but it's actually in Canada, in London, Ontario. And so we're going to wrestle with that a little bit. Before we do that, why don't you give us some of the background to this story? Yeah, so on Monday, it, what looks like happened is a driver really um, intentionally drove, like slammed into a Muslim family, and it included grandma, uh, dad, mom, kids, and he killed four people. And the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is calling it a terrorist attack because he's also saying that um, there's evidence now that this was planned, it was premeditated, it was motivated by hate. It's believed that these victims were targeted because they were Muslim. And so Mm. it is a devastating story of a horrific hate crime. And um, interestingly, the CEO of the National Council of Canadian Muslims, a guy named Mustafa Farouk, was interviewed talking about how these attacks continue to impact the Muslim community. And I thought we could listen to a little clip of his interview. How does this keep happening? And what do we do next? Uh, We've been here before. On January 29, 2017, at the Quebec City Mosque Massacre. We've been here before. At September 12, 2020, when a man walked onto the IMO Mosque in Toronto, took out a knife and slit the throat of the caretaker who was there, connected to a white supremacist group. We were here a few months ago when someone took an air gun and fired at a Quebec, uh, at a Quebec mosque. This keeps happening, and we don't do anything to make it stop happening, and we need to do that. So basically, that's you know him saying that this isn't the first time. Mm-hmm. We have to be mindful that this keeps happening again and again and again, and that some things need to happen to stop anti-Islamic hate. And I think what we're seeing, Brian... Just with this story and with the anti-Asian attacks, even in our country, mm-hmm. that these hate crimes, you know, I don't know if the, if they're happening more and more, but certainly the coverage seems to be more and more consistent that the, your temptation is to almost move past it and grow numb to it. But we can't do that as the people of God. Yeah, and there may be people out there going, it's a random story where, you know, a guy ran into, yeah, it's a terrible story, but random. And I think where where I come down on this is, again, I had that exact same thought of what you just said. Like, it, it might be a coverage issue, but man, these targeted hate crimes worldwide, but also in our nation, seem to be happening 
uh, with greater um, frequency. And uh, like you said, we've talked about here on the show, the Mm -hmm. anti-Asian hate crimes that are continue to grow. Like if you Mm -hmm. pay attention to the news, those are continuing to happen. These anti-Muslim and and here's what. Here's the two things, the two reactions that you can have. And what you're going to see, obviously, is that one, I believe, is correct and one is not. Uh, One of the reactions you can have is, I'm not Asian. I'm not Muslim. So Mm. it's too bad for them. And I, I, you know, I even feel badly for them. But but it's not, you know, that's not my tribe. I'm using air quotes here. That's not my uh, who I am. The other option is for us to say, uh, any violence against any specific group is violence against all groups. It is not yes. permissible. And that we, as especially people who follow Jesus, people who believe in the image of God bear- bearers in all people in the Imago Dei, we have to stand up and say that this isn't okay. And, and we right. talk about this a lot on the show that increasingly – uh, worldwide, but also nationally, we are divided into our tribes, into our, you yeah. know, they're political, they're ethnic, they're racial, they're economic, they're all this stuff. And what we can't have happen is to go, well, it's too bad that happened to them over there. Like the church has to rise above that and yeah. say, no, this isn't okay. Even if these people aren't Christian, but they're Muslim, we're going to stand up and support them. Even if you know, I'm a white guy and it's right. happening to, you know, Asian Americans. Yeah. I can't go, well, too bad for them. No, I have to say, no, that's not okay. And right. I'm going to stand up for them. Right. Uh, and when we get to that place as a church and as a culture, then we'll start making some headway. That's right. Um, and so I really believe all that to say, I think the church not only can lead the way, but has to lead the way here, just condemning even attack. Not, I shouldn't even say even condemning attacks against all people, whether it's people that's who it. look like you, believe like you do or don't. Yeah, yeah. Any act of violence, we have to condemn. And, and and I mean that publicly, like as Christians, like this is a great use of social media. Get on your social media platforms and say, this is not OK, because I, I do think we are in danger of of growing desensitized to some of these acts of hate. And the minute that we do that, I mean, that our heart gets so cold, like, of course, God hates this. This is an affront to his creation. And so I yeah. I agree with you. The church needs to be at the forefront of standing against these acts of hate and then and then to reach across aisles, to reach across what could mm-hmm. be dividing lines with love, with the love of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? These are opportunities really to be what we talked about in an earlier um, time together today when we talked about Scott Saul's making Christianity beautiful again. This is a moment where the church can rise up and be Jesus to those who are hurting and make our witness matter. That's right. I think you bring up an important word, that word being desensitized to like, you know, think about when we were kids or when we were just, you know, kind of coming into, the, you know, we were, you know, teenagers, college or whatever. And and it, let's use this as an example. If there was ever a school shooting, yeah. like I don't remember one when I was a kid, right. but I do remember when I was at Wheaton College, when I was in college was when Columbine happened. Uh-huh. And like the world shut down for two days. Right. Like you just watch that coverage. It was beyond your pale. And now you hear of a school shooting and you're just kind of like, man, that's terrible. Like what's for dinner now? Yeah, like, you, like you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of story. Yeah. 
Right. And we cannot allow ourselves to become desensitized mm -hmm. to all, any act of violence. Like I said, school shootings and stuff, but also a Muslim family getting run down for simply the fact that they are Muslim on the street. And now there's a huge or I think it did take place. Hundreds or uh, thousands of people attended a vigil. I love uh, that. You know, th there, there is, is a, this movement. Yeah. And I think there's even like a GoFundMe page to help the family. So that's I mean, I like that the community is coming around this family. Yep. And so but we just felt it important to go, hey, is uh, are you becoming desensitized to these things? What is your reaction as you hear these things? And so it's a hard story, yeah. but we wanted to make sure to cover it. Coming up next hour, uh, the highlight's going to be your friend Christine Kane is going to join us. She's the author of a new book, How Did I Get Here? Finding your way back to God when everything is pulling you away. You are not going to want to miss Christine. She's going to be on in the next hour as we continue the common good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're asking, how do we define success? And then my friend Christine Kane, author of How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything is Pulling You Away, joins us. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Brian Fromm. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great today. You know what? This is, again, behind the scenes, pulling back the curtain. You being newer to the show, like, uh, this is kind of new for you to do the intros and get us it in is. and out of stuff, and you're killing it. Killing it. So You think so? Yes. I still yes. feel nervous about it. I you, think the day I don't think about it will be the day I'm really killing it. I'm still kind of overthinking it. But You're already better than Ian Simkins. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, again, Dallas Jenkins of The Chosen said I was better than we're just going to keep reminding Ian Simpkins of that. Basically. That's, right. That's right. Well, I found a, I found this really interesting article about student success on a website called Christian Scholars Review. And I don't necessarily want to talk about, you know, student success. But I thought what was interesting is how do we as Christians define success. Mm -hmm. And um, this I thought this article was kind of an interesting like jumping off point because one of the things that uh, this author talks about, Cinda Vanderpool, who's at Baylor University, talks about how often for their students when they're thinking about what is a successful student, they're saying, you know, they're good citizens or they've met the institutional guidelines for the school. They've, um, you know, earned the credentials that they need to to graduate. But what this author is arguing is like, what if student success is not about institutional goals? What mm -hmm. if student success is not even about really achievement or GPA or rankings or testings, but it's actually about have they been formed into divine likeness? Mm. So really, it's a conversation about have students been transformed during their college experience to be more like God. And what's interesting is one of the things that this author puts forth is that we tend to um, have a rivalry or we compete with one another. And sometimes we end up competing with God, which is sort of a strange thought, or we compete with each other. And all of that really gets in the way of surrendering our trust to God and allowing him to transform us. And I just thought that that would be a really interesting thing to talk about. Like, yeah. how do you define success, Brian, maybe in your health and in your like, when you're doing well with God, how do you define success? And then what are the temptations when you're like not defining success well for yourself? 
That's a great question. I do want to just highlight the fact that you just dropped in. I was on ChristianScholars.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's how I roll. You know, my kids were watching TV. I had nothing else to do. I was scrolling Christian Scholars. Here Pick we go. Up some academic <laughs> reading for myself I'm, every I'm day. impressed. Make yourself a better person. I, for me, there's a couple different things in this. One is, uh, uh, one interesting part is how do we define success for our kids, especially in mm. school, right? Because this is yeah. written from a standpoint of college students and this and that. But, you know, I've got a high school student. You have an incoming high school student. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have younger kids. And the pressure to achieve on these students is astronomically more than even I felt back when I was in high school and college. So true. And you could easily fall into that rat race of going, okay, my kids are going to be, their success will be defined by their grade point average, their class rank, their SAT scores, the college they get into, whatever else it might be. And our kids pick up on that, right? Like if, if they're like, oh, okay, mom and dad only care that I get X, you know, I have a four O or I have this or that. And so yeah. I think there's an interesting thought here. What does it mean for us to view our kids more holistically and go, you know what, even if my kid uh, gets a gets a heaven forbid a B, right? Or right. whatever, I'm actually more concerned with, as you said, their transformation, their formation, who they're becoming as a person. And then this also speaks to how, what is success as what what do we do as pastors and as churches? What are we trying to mm. quote unquote create in our mm. people? Knowledge is important. I don't think it's a, it's a for knowledge or against knowledge, right? Like, right. but it's right. a, sometimes as churches, it, our thought process becomes, if I could just teach them more stuff, if I could just give them more Bible totally. knowledge, if I could just give them another class. And again, Again, I'm all for those things, yeah. but what's yeah. the end goal? Is the end goal is Christ likeness, transformation, connection with Jesus? That that is not always go hand in hand with information, right? Um, and, and so I think this is uh, an interesting topic about what is success for school and students, but really spinning it forward, what you know, think about that for yourself. Like you're a pastor, if you and your husband, like when you look at for you to look at your church and go, we are succeeding. Yeah, we are. We are doing what we believe we're called to do mm-hmm. in individual lives. Like, th- how would you answer? Like, what is what does that look like in the lives of the people who go to Renewal Church? Say? You know, it is funny that you bring up sort of the like uh, that idea of like if I teach them the right things, <clears throat> then transformation <throat> will happen. And I, I mean, I'm like you. I think we both love study and we love context and we love doctrine and. and orthodoxy. And so I love teaching those things to my people. But at the end of the day, if I really do step back and Kevin and I were to say, has Renewal Church been a successful church? I feel like it's honestly, people are more in love with Jesus than they were Mm -hmm. a year ago and living more like Jesus than they were a year ago. And same with us, that we and our family are doing the same thing. And and obviously that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of being in community. But it's also, I do think, a work of the leadership to remember our job is to help point people to Christ so that the Spirit of God can do the transformation work and maybe not get swept up in all the other things that we think are so important, like, are our numbers amazing? Are our, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. Am I, like, rocking my sermon this week so people think I'm awesome? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Do it with that accent. <laughs> Do it with that voice. And it will. <laughs> you know, I, I just think the ego and the comparison game can get in the way of yes. our true calling <clears throat> which is the Great Commission, right? 
Absolutely. And then, so you asked earlier, how do I do it in my own life? Yeah. Like, this is the rubber meets the road right. struggle, right? right. Like, uh, we all like measurables in our lives that say, okay, I'm making X amount of money compared. It's always a comparison, right? Compared to that person, yes. or this many people go to my church, yes. or, you know, my kids have it all together, whatever else it might be. When in reality, the same thing we're saying about our churches or our students, it's got to be the same when I look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like when I look in the mirror, do I go, I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm, I'm displaying the fruits. Of, I'm seeing the fruits of the spirit more in my life. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to love him with all my heart and love my neighbor as myself. Like, are these the metrics that I look at my own life? Or is it simply, again, these aren't bad things, right. but is it simply... I'm moving up the corporate ladder. My church is growing. Uh, My kids are achieving or whatever else. I could buy a bigger house. Like, what are the metrics? And these are really important questions because we preach this all the time. If you put your focus on the wrong things, you're going to be let down. They're going to come crumbling. That's so true, right? You know. I would I would tell people out there, pastors struggle with this just as much as everybody else. Like, even though we preach it, we're like, yeah, I, <laughs> it's, I, yeah. And there is a there is a unique thing, I think, pastorally, too, when part of your job is in front of people. There's almost like a kind of an yes. ugly, unique temptation to to ego. Right. Or to narcissism or whatever. And so I, you're right. We struggle with it, don't we? Um, we absolutely. You know, do. so we interviewed Terrence Lester. You and I did yesterday on the show. Uh, who is the founder of Love Beyond Walls. And I was going through his Instagram page yesterday and he said, you just mentioned climbing the ladder. He said, I'm, Mm -hmm. I I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, I'm no longer climbing the ladder. I'm actually going to burn the ladder down and then make, and make (laughs) a warm fire for everyone in my community. And I just thought that's the (laughs) attitude that we need to have. Let me, let me end by this. The end of the article says this ordering of loves and relationships is similar to what Wolterstaff, who's actually Nicholas Wolterstaff, by the way, is a great author on lament, but he describes as living in shalom, being in a right relationship with God, others, and nature, nature, recognizing that this transformation, this ordering of loves is a lifelong project. We submit mm-hmm. that a significant goal of our work is to help students define these as the end toward which their lives are aimed. So thus, student success, and I would translate this, thus success for the Christian must be bound to a particular understanding of human success, of human flourishing. So that's the call, right? Mm. To human flourishing, that's great. not just achievement in Jesus' name. Well, anyway, we thought that was an interesting conversation mm-hmm. to have here on The Common Good. Be sure to stick around because next up, we're talking with Christine Kane, the founder of A21, Propel, Propel Women, and the author of a new book, How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything Is Pulling You Away. You will not want to miss it. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are thrilled today... To be joined by best-selling author, speaker, activist, founder of Propel Women, co-founder of A21 Campaign, and the author of a new book, How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything is Pulling You Away, Miss Christine Kane. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? Hey, Aubrey. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. (laughs) Hey, uh, for our listeners who may not know you, can you introduce yourself however you want to? Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. 
Sure. Well, hi, everyone. So nice to meet you all. And um, okay, right now I'm coming to you as the mother of a newly graduated. Um, <gasps> we had a graduation ceremony last night. Congratulations. And, so, and you know, I'm Australian, so um, it has been quite a thing. Um, Americans, you're like a lot of pump and you know, when I finished high school, we sort of maybe got a certificate. I'm trying to think. And uh, it was like, we have a good life. I'm like, whoa, it is a different deal over it's here. It's a big deal here. <laughs> so that is, I've got two daughters, Catherine Bobby, who's 19, and Sophia Joyce, who is 15. I've been married to my husband, Nick, who is the most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet <laughs> 25 years strong. So we are so happy. And then together we oversee A21, which is a large part of what we do. We help to rescue the victims of human trafficking. We have 15 offices in 15 countries around the world and um, are seeing some phenomenal work done there. And uh, that's pretty much it. I do a lot of uh, teaching and a lot of um, I love to empower women. And to be honest, I just love to proclaim the gospel to anybody. So, you know, um, we've had the privilege of going to preach in over, you know, 100 countries around the world. And so we have a very global ministry. So that's kind of where our focus is the planet. That's great. Christine, we're thrilled. Aubrey was just telling the story earlier that she went to her son's middle school graduation. So you are right about us Americans. Yes. And I was like, what is this? Middle school graduation? But, you know, we no, did it. I, we I celebrated. It. Your son's so tall, Aubrey. Isn't he tall? I know. Yes, I don't I, I looked at I, you in comparison to him on your uh, social media and yeah. I thought he I know. I don't know what happened. Uh, It's so true. It's so true. Well, Christine, congratulations. You have a new book out with everything you're doing. You have a new book that just came out called How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything is Pulling You Away. Tell us about the book and why did you write this particular book at this particular time? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons, but a a big reason, I think, if we sum it up is um, toward the end of 2016, coming into especially 2017, 2018 for me, I had a a series, I call it the perfect storm, you know, like, I mean, we all have those in life. I've been serving the Lord in full-time ministry for over three decades um, and, you know, have seen the Lord do amazing things. Towards the end of 2016, my mother passed away. Now, we live in America, so this happened in Australia. It was my mother, my hus- my brother's wife, who was my age, um, My one of my husband's sister. My husband is number 14 or 15, so he's got a lot of siblings. Wow. Was, there was no television in that part of Australia. But anyway, so <laughs> one of his sisters and one of his brother-in-laws passed away. So there was a lot of back and forth for funerals. You know, there's just all the thing that happens when I'm, I'm 55 this year. So when you get to our age and people are dying and my mother in particular, because I, I was left in a hospital, I named an unwanted when I was born. So I don't know my biological mother and have had a complex relationship with my adopted mum. So that mm. triggered a lot of emotion, like, it, it, you know, during that time, there's no doubt there was some things that I needed to work through at the same time. I experienced a, a personal betrayal from a close friend. And, you know, David wrote in the Psalms, it would have been easy if it was my enemy that was against me. But when it yeah. was my 
friend that I went to the mm, house before. You, you yes. a whole different level when that happens. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember, but coming out of the end of 2016, going into 2017, it was quite a volatile time here in America. There was a lot mm-hmm. of things kind of going on. You may have had amnesia and not remember that. But <laughs> at the time, things were shifting everywhere. I mean, politically, socially, morally, economically. I mean, there was not one sphere of society that was not being impacted. And that only escalated, obviously, over yeah. the last four years. Um, yeah. And so if you've got any, if you're any kind of public figure... Honestly, you, you, you're going to confront this every day. Like there's going to be one group of people that think you are not saying enough about whatever it might be. Right. Then there's another mm. group of people that are, you're saying too much about whatever it might mm. be. There's another group of people you shouldn't be saying anything. So you wake up every day and you're like, who am I going to disappoint today without even trying? Before you have opened wow. your mouth, before you've tweeted anything, before you, you, you have a lot of people have various expectations and so and and on top of that i'm running a global organization with literally hundreds of staff in you know 15 (laughs) countries and three churches so you know you've we're in 18 countries um and so and and in all of that you're a human being that makes mistakes that fails Mm. that you know you just you're trying to navigate being a human on top of the fact that you're not allowed to be a human and so (laughs) all of these things happening all at the same time and I remember this one night, my husband was watching this uh, show on the Navy SEALs. That's what he does to, you know, unwind, whatever. It's like his thing. And I didn't know. I used to always say, we're the Navy SEALs of the church. We're on the front lines. We're going, you know. And then I didn't know there was this thing called like Hell Week um, that you actually, before you become a SEAL, you have this week where they try to make you not be a SEAL. Like they break you down. Right, right, right. Physically, you don't sleep, you know, you're being bombarded. Basically what they want you to do is if you're going to break, break there, not on the front lines so that you And if you ring the bell, it just denotes... I'm tapping out. You're still going to be in the Navy and you're still, you can go back um, to what you were doing before. You're just never going to be a SEAL. And Mm. so uh, there was this one scene, which you guys are going to laugh. They dropped these uh, guys out of the helicopter into the Pacific Ocean. They had to swim miles to shore and then have this assignment late at night. And I said, I started crying, which, you know, is not normal. My husband's like, like, how are you crying at these? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I said, I think this is how I feel spiritually. I said, I think Mm. it's a good metaphor. I feel like I've been dropped into the Pacific. I have to swim to shore. I've got this Mm. assignment. I know I can do it. I've got the match fitness. I've got the muscle memory. I've got the resilience, the tenacity. Three decades I've been thrust out in the front. And I was crying. And I said, but for the first time in my life, I don't know if I want to. Mm. And I, when those words came out of my mouth, I'd never said that. Over three decades, the Lord's asked me to do impossible things and i've i've always said you know i don't know if i can which is very yeah. different to i don't know if i want to mm. and um, i said if i just take my foot off the gas and i wasn't thinking i'm going to go and do something you know i'm not going to backslide or leave the faith or anything but if i just take my yeah, foot yeah. off the gas i've got so much momentum from three decades of doing this deal that and there's so little discernment in the body of christ Nobody would even notice. Like nobody would really know wow. that it's still doing all of this stuff. And as mm. I'm weeping, I mean, I'm having a moment. Um, I just out of my mouth, I went, but Jesus would know. Jesus mm. would know that I took my foot off the gas. Mm. And in a sense, I didn't, I couldn't say what Paul said. 
you know, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that lie behind, I press on, um, you know, determined to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me. And it was that moment um, that I turned to him and I went, how did I get here? Like, you know, me who's always on the front lines, how did I get to the place where I seriously would have a degree of mission drift, not noticeable necessarily to anyone externally, And during that same time, and of course, it's only escalated since then, there were many public figures beginning to deconstruct their faith very publicly. Yeah, right, right. um, Post very publicly, you know, I'm walking away from church. I'm drifting from Jesus even, you know, we've seen that happen. People drifting in their marriages, people drifting in their relationships, people drifting off there. So in a sense, I thought for the first time I had this capacity to go, I understand how you could drift. Like, I mean, literally, it might right. look different. I'm not, you know, going to go to a nightclub and do drugs and, you know, like leave. Right, church. right, right. But you could still drift and be doing mm. all of the right things, but go, it's just the cost is too high. And here's mm. the difference. I've been doing this deal long enough now. Um, that I knew the cost. It was good when I was young and dumb. When I was 21, I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol. Let's go. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but now I knew the cost. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what can happen to you if you're a public figure. Yeah. This is what can happen to you when you're not given the same grace that you talk about to other people. This is what right. you become. You may as well have a target on your head. And, and whichever way you go, and especially to even perhaps be a, a follower of Jesus that that w- would ascribe to a, you know, a historical orthodox traditional view of Christianity. Well, that's not going to be cool in our world as moving forward anyway, no matter which right. way you go. Um, right. And it was like, am I willing to do this? It was, and mm. to a degree, it comes right back to, am I willing um, to take up my cross again. That's so to, good. Yeah, you that's know, so to deny good. myself and to follow him. That's really, yeah. or am I going to drift from that call to discipleship? It mm. looks different for everyone. doesn't matter yeah. whether you're a public figure or not a public figure. Uh, the call, the daily call to deny yourself, take up your cross mm. and follow Jesus is pretty much what it's all about. And if yeah, the book is right. anything, it's a call to endurance. The writer to the Hebrew says we must pay yes extra attention less to we too do from so great a salvation and it's like you will have need of endurance no matter who you are it doesn't matter if you're Chris Payne or if you're you know a stay-at-home mother that that is homeschooling kids um, you will have need of endurance in order Mm. to stay faithful to Jesus in the days in which we live Oh, it's so good, Chris. Such a good word for all of us right now. One of the questions that I had for you thinking about your book and thinking about some of the things you talked about before we went to break, for the Christian who feels like they're off course Mm -hmm. or they are in that water, like you talked about with the Navy SEALs, and they don't feel like they have what it takes to get to the shore, maybe number one, what are some signs that they are losing their focus or losing their weight? And then two, how can they get realigned like with Jesus and get back on track? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think is um, an awesome question. You know, when I was young, my dad would and mum would take us to the beach at the Umina Beach in Sydney, Australia. And so we would go up to there and my dad, and we're Greek. So if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, that is my big fat Greek My dad would have these big, bright beach umbrellas, one on one side of the stand, and then he'd put a whole bunch of beach towels on the other side. And he'd say, kids, when you go out, you won't feel this, but the current is so strong under the surface, whether you feel it or not, if you do not check these markers regularly, 
whether you want to or not, you're going to drift. And I remember he used to say this, kids, all you have to do to drift is nothing. And in the same way for us, we sometimes think like if we see something public on social media, we go, oh, man, they've drifted off course. But you don't normally start out to sea. You begin by not paying attention to the small things and the small markers that help us um, stay on track and not drift. So if you're feeling that you have drifted, here's the first thing. You cannot outdrift the grace of God. Mm. You cannot outdrift the love of God. You cannot outdrift the mercy of God, the goodness of God, or the kindness of God. So Some good. people uh, listening to this or watching this will be going, but Chris, I, I really messed up and I, I cut the anchor myself. You know, I, I need you to know there is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God that's Amen. in Christ Jesus. And whatever you've drifted to, he's there. Amen. So that's the first thing is understand. And I have found really complex prayers like, God, please help. More than that, like God help me. Mm. And I think a lot of people are there right now, Christians, Christian leaders. It's just like, it's been a really brutal five years yeah. and it's like, man, uh, how did I get here? I think that's a, that's the, the question a lot of people are asking. Right. And so, you know, and, and you go. And so, of course, I've got nine different things. I'm, I'm 55 this year. I'm, I, I want everyone to finish. I mean, I'm, of course, the finish line's closer to me than the starting line. Mm. So I want us to realign our vision and once again learn what it is to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Mm. And so what are some signs? Sometimes you don't even know that you've drifted, but you are. And I mean, I've, I've got several in there that I talk about, but, you know, obviously some of the more obvious ones are, uh, you know, you've drifted when, when you're talking more than you're praying or you're tweeting more than you're praying mm. or you're blogging more than like when we like to talk about our culture currently is so affirming of talking about things and having opinions. And I'm like, y'all, at what point do we stop maybe talking and praying and actually wow. going to the Lord? You, you know, you know, uh, you've drifted when you're no longer trusting God and you're trying to control everything. And I think that's a, a big thing that, you know, we're we're not doing that when you're no longer pressing on, but you're coasting hmm. either on past success or kind of coasting through when, when, when a blue check matters to you more than a heart check, hmm. when you're no longer allowing the Holy Spirit to examine what's going on on the inside. And we are just so consumed um, with what's going on out there. And, if, you know, when, when you start isolating and you no longer value gathering and I, I'm always, uh, you know, I was taken by that scripture in Hebrews that says, you know, do not forsake the gathering together. Of course, we've just come out of COVID, but I mean, that was written to Jewish Christians that were being literally persecuted and martyred for their faith right. and they were losing home and they were losing us and it was costly to gather. I mean, it could have costed, cost their lives. Yeah. And I'm thinking if the writer of the Hebrews is going, it is still that significant that we gather rather than be isolated to the point that it may cost you your life. Yeah. There's got to be something in that. So a lot of the things that we would historically call Christian practices or spiritual disciplines that we think it do, they don't matter. I mean, Christine, seriously, we're talking Christianity 101. Are you saying I should read my Bible? Are you saying I should pray? Are you saying I should go to church? Are you saying I should have a good community of friends? Yes, I'm saying yes. <laughs> right, hey, right. These are markers. Yeah. These are markers. And I have lived long enough now. I am 55 by the grace of God. You know, I lead churches in Thessaloniki, Greece, in Warsaw, Poland, in Sofia, Bulgaria, that are small, nobody knows about. Yeah. And I have been part of mega churches that everybody knows yeah. about. I have been 
been on the biggest platforms in the world. I've been in the back of the Ukraine that nobody would know with three people in a room. Mm. And I'm saying to you, they, it all matters. Like yeah. it, I've, I've seen it all. I've seen things explode big and I've seen things explode small. Amen. I've seen people away in mega churches. I've seen people fall away in house churches. Yeah. I've seen... Um, And I still come down to, after having seen it all, having stood on the biggest platforms, by the grace of God, having received some of the greatest accolades, I'm still saying to you, the markers are very simple. And they are our basic spiritual discipline. And they are our basic spiritual practices. And all of the limelight and all of the glory and all of the things that you think are the cool stuff will not hold you. They will not hold you. Right. you know, Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, Amen. both firm and secure. And he is the anchor. And yeah, I've okay. seen the best of the best in every sphere. And um, I still come down to nothing else holds. Yeah. Nothing else Amen. holds but Amen. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Christine, this is an unfair question with only two, two three minutes left. But I'm going to ask it anyway because I really want to know your, your thoughts and your encouragement about that. We see lots of pastors falling away. We see lots of churches struggling with covid uh, kind of a two-part question. Are you hopeful for the church and why? If you are hopeful, why are you hopeful for the church? Oh, of course I'm hopeful for the church. There's only one thing that Jesus said I will build. <laughs> if Jesus is building his church, no demon in hell, no person on earth, no fallen leader, no horrific, the horrific stuff, the, the stuff we're seeing, the abuse scandals, the misogyny, yeah. the racism, the sexism. I'm not denying the reality of any of those things, but I am saying man has implemented a lot of those things and they're falling apart brick by brick. It's like that. All that's going to crumble, man. That is the, that is the straw and that is the stuff that's going to burn up. The stuff that will remain is the thing that Jesus is building. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church isn't the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world, but Jesus is using his church. And the fact is, I want to spend my life building what he's building. That's right. That is the church. So that's why I'm hopeful. I'm not hopeful because of man. I'm not hopeful because of methods. I'm not hopeful because of systems Mm. or structures. I'm hopeful because Jesus is continuing to build what he's always been built. Amen. Chris, would you get a little bit more excited, please? I feel like we can't, we can't, (laughs) we can't hear your passion at all. Oh, I just love you so much. And we're so grateful that you're here today Mm -hmm. and so grateful for your wisdom. You can learn more about Christine at christinecain.com. You can follow her on Instagram, Twitter, all the places. Also, Chris is hosting an evening with Christine Kane and friends. I think that's tomorrow night, right? At 8 p.m. for anyone who buys your book. So you can find out more about that at howdidigetherebook.com backslash event. And Chris, we are so honored that you've been here with us today. Thank Thank you you. so much for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson here with my amazing co-host, Brian Fromm. We wanted to end the show today by talking about uh, what a... Brian's kind of a, a fanboy of Savannah Guthrie. Tell me, how your, tell me how your love of Savannah Guthrie began, Brian. Yes, I, I, I jokingly... I, lo- I watch the Today Show every morning. Like That's, that's kind of right. my rhythm. Yeah. I'll watch like the first 20 minutes, and then they go to like 20 minutes of commercials so kind of i'll watch from like 7 to seven twenty, okay. and my kids kind of know this uh when they come down and I, one of my <laughs> I, earlier in the pandemic i this is kind of a new thing for me in the pandemic and 
Uh, earlier in the pandemic, I told my daughter, oh, it's time to watch our girls. <laughs> like, I just enjoy them. And then, you know, you get into that rhythm of like, that's how I start my day. I watch it. And so yeah, I am yeah. a fan of Savannah Guthrie. Like you said, I think she's she does good work. She's yeah. been through a lot, uh, you know, from the firing of Matt Lauer and all right. that happened to right. a pandemic. And I, I think she does good work. And now she's celebrating 10 years yeah. at the Today Show desk. So it's a big deal. It's amazing. 10 years at the Today Show. And what she's what she uh, is quoted as saying is that she often takes a moment to begin her day with prayer. So I thought that was really, Mm -hmm. really cool. That was surprising to me. I didn't know she was I didn't know she was a person of faith. But we actually have a clip here of her family surprised her on her 10th anniversary at the Today Show. And I wanted to play this clip for you because she just gets so excited when her kids and her husband run into the room. And it's really, really sweet. So let's go ahead and listen to that moment on the Today Show. We actually have a little bit of cake, so we're going to have some special people bring Come, buddy. This is our first cake post-pandemic. This is. Thank you. What's up, Char? Char? Oh, my gosh. Hi, What's up, Hi, Char. Hi, Phil. You want the side cake? You want with me right here? Here you go. Come. I lift you up. Char, Char. Here, let's go close, 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 close. There we go. Oh, no. came true. Thank you so much. Guys, now my whole family's here. All right. All right. So she just kind of did that high-pitched girl squeal like, oh, my kids are here. And she started crying and her husband started crying. And really, they um, just celebrating her 10 years, especially hard 10 years. And what I like about this is you don't see people stay places for a long time anymore. And I know for some people, 10 years is not a long time. But I I appreciate people who endure, especially through hardship. And I feel like Savannah Guthrie is kind of a lesson for all of us, right? When things are difficult, when you've had high pressure, that that steady presence mattered. And, you know, of course, we always want to take things and and make them about the church. You and I are pastors, Brian. Most of our listeners are Christians. And I I just wonder, what do you think about the value of being somewhere for a long time? Does that matter? Yeah, I think, like you said, we live in a culture where things just kind of come and go. People come in and out of your life. I think there's something to be said about consistency. Now, uh, things change at jobs. Like, I don't know that it necessarily, but there is something about so you and I quote Eugene Peterson all the time, and we talk about specifically his his very famous quote about having a long obedience in the same direction, yeah. right? Like a consistency, a, a big view of life that says life is more of a marathon than a sprint. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, especially in our social media world, we could just bounce and bounce and bounce, you know, from one thing to another. Uh, and instead, those people that... Um, Like, think about the people who matter the most to you. It's probably people who've been with you in your life through things, who have endured, who are there. And and instead of every time things get uncomfortable and hard, bailing, whether it be on relationships Mm -hmm. or jobs or the faith, uh, right? There's ups and downs to our faith. And so there's an endurance. It doesn't mean you don't ever leave your job. It doesn't mean you don't ever move to a new place. You know, that's not what we're saying. Uh, but there is something to be said. There were probably moments in 10 years here, to use the story we ju- used as a jumping off point, where Savannah Guthrie said, 
you know what? This is too hard. Or, you I know can't what? do I'm this done. anymore. Like, this is yeah. just too much. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's just uh, she stuck it out. And now it's 10 years. And now there's some longevity, some gravitas. Like yes. they say at churches, quite frankly, it takes six to 10 years before you find your voice. Yep. Uh, and and then the question becomes, can you make it to six years? <laughs> right. And the question also becomes what what happens after 10 years? Right. Like I get that. But. A lot of us think, oh, people aren't listening to me after six months. Like, it takes time. Yeah. It takes time. And so I think this is a good picture of just that stick to itiveness yeah. that we all need. Yeah, in our lives. it's such a great example. I know in our lives that, you know, Kevin and I have been in the, like, in the area, right? Like the DuPage County area mm-hmm. as long as we've been married. So it's been 20 years now. We've been in ministry most of our marriage. And I'm sure it's the same for you and Carrie, Brian, that. We have people from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even people Kevin went to high school with that call us because they're like, oh, those people were in my life 10 years ago. And now I'm going through a hard right. time. Now I'm wondering who God is or now I'm questioning a lot of things or now I'm my, um, you know, I, I'm an addict now and I wasn't before. And there is something about being right. present in the same ish location and being faithful to God that, um, that, like you said, sometimes years later, those relationships come back and you find that you're able to pour into people that for whatever reason you weren't in that early season, but now years later you can. And so I do think there's something, I know jobs change and God moves us all the time. And so I'm not trying to say like, you have to stay in one place, but there are some (laughs) treasures of that longevity being a, a consistent present in one place where um, people do come find you when when they need help or or they need some wisdom and guidance. And there's something really, I don't know, there's something really unique and powerful about that. And so anyway, I thought that was kind of fun to celebrate Savannah, celebrate your girl, My your girl, girl, My girl. for 10 years, <laughs> and to remind all of us of the power of being a consistent presence in other people's lives. You never know how God is going to use that, but it's a really, really meaningful and intentional way to live. So anyway, we are so thankful that you've joined us today on The Common Good. We've been so glad to have you with us. Be sure to come back tomorrow from 4 to 6. Brian and I are going to have a great show for you tomorrow on Thursday afternoon, but we hope you're having a great Wednesday evening. And um, we will talk to you tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.